So, okay, let's play male and female. Lord, may we desire to um, be holy, uh, to use our bodies for good. And may we recognize um, the good in each other, the good in each other's bodies, the good in the person. Lord, we ask your blessings upon this time. We ask this in your name. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so, if I remember right, uh, we're going to do contraception next. Um, so, um, in 1968, um, Pope Paul VI, um, so... Uh, to make a short story long, there's something going on right now called the, uh, a synod, which it means that the Pope is like gathering like information, um, like he has like people come and speak, like bishops, like even like uh, experts on certain areas. Um, and so actually it's kind of weird, like the, the synod right now is on Senate. So they're having a Senate about Senate. But anyways, um, in the 60s, uh, and you have to remember, like, you have to remember, like, um, in the 60s, you also have the Civil Rights Movement. You also have, like, things like Woodstock, like, the Sexual Revolution. Like, there's just a lot going on uh, in the 60s. Uh, I think late 60s, you might even have Vietnam War. Um, just a lot going on, um, but in 1968. So what I was gonna say is they have they had this Senate, and like the Senate's recommendation was to change, like to allow married couples to use contraception, and so there's this sense that the church was gonna like say yes, and so like based on this document and like they're already priests telling people, telling couples, like, it's okay to use contraception, to use artificial contraception. And so, like, in some ways, the ball was already rolling. And so, when Pope Paul VI released uh, Humanae Vitae, um, which is, like, the thinnest encyclical, like, known to man, like, this is, like, JP's, uh, JP, Pope John Paul II's follow-up kind of to Humanae Vitae called Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life. And like, it's like this, and it's got like 200, or uh, I guess only 100, what they call paragraphs or sections. Like this thing literally, Humanae Vitae is, literally has like 30. <laughs> like, it's like the thinnest thing ever, um, but it it did. It felt like a bomb on the church, and um, and again, like you know, those a lot of historians have said, like it's the it was the beginning of the great descent. Like even bishops were opposed uh, to what it taught, um, and again, it was just upholding the the tradition that that contraception was a grave sin, um, that every sexual act should be open to life. Um, and, um, yeah, you, so, uh, Genesis 38, 
Um, so it's just uh, Judah and Tamar. So, um, so uh, let's see. Um, so verse uh, nine. Uh, Onan, however, knew that the offspring would not be his. Um, so Judah got a wife named Tamar for her firstborn heir. But uh, and so kind of the tradition was like if um, if your brother uh, died without um, having an heir, uh, your brother would um, have marital relations with your uh, with that the dead brother's wife to raise up heirs for that line and so Onan um, was supposed to do that um, but he knew that uh, Onan however knew that the offspring would not be his and so whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife he wasted his seed on the ground to avoid giving offspring to his brother what he did greatly offended the Lord and the Lord took his life too um, so just that sense that you know um yeah the contraception in any form and uh and you know um yeah that the church looks even though it's not in some ways an artificial contraceptive it is obviously you know not being open to life so the church uh condemns that as well um and all of the early church writings um support uh that it was that the church was open to life which is interesting because like the world around the early church was all open to contraceptives like there's i mean we might not think of them contraceptives today like they were kind of crude and maybe like kind of like i don't know snake oilish or however you want to say that like maybe not very scientifically sound um but there were a lot of that being sold or whatever and like and being used and it's just like even the early church documents you know were against contraception and abortion even though it was very prevalent in the world around the early church so um so again uh humanity vitae uh was a huge um yeah, it, it upset a lot of people, and um, and I would say in some ways kind of accelerate that kind of rebellious spirit. Like I can be Catholic, but I don't have to follow all the teachings of the church. Um, so humanity vitae teaches uh, the following: that marriage and the marital act are by their nature designed for the begetting and rearing of children. Um, and so every marital act should be uh, open to children. Um, even in marriage, the sexual instinct must be kept under control because sex in, is per, because sex is permitted in marriage. It does not mean that it can be used in an unbridled way. Um, so, um, yeah. Again, obviously, marriage is not a license to use each other. Um, yeah, JP2 just, he said a lot of things that upset people, but anyways, um, 
but like he he said that um, husbands could lust after their wives, and they're like, oh my, like this was like shocking news to people, and because there was a sense like never like the teachings of the church, but there was this kind of this, like unspoken, not even in just the church, but in, like in society, like that at least from the point of view from men, like that marriage was there to kind of satisfy like my desires, my sexual desires. And so like, um, like spouses kind of owed that to each other. Um, and just like they would kind of use that type of language, which, you know, obviously in light of like coming from the worldview of the theology of the body is just nuts, right? Like, you know, that every act should be an act of love. And that, you know, if your spouse has had a bad day or whatever, like, just refrain. Like, you know, no one should be forced into anything. Um, uh, Sexual acts are noble and worthy in marriage. These acts remain lawful even if they are infertile due to factors outside the wills of husband and wives, age, medical condition, or the woman's menstrual cycle. Um, so I don't know why. I don't know. I'm recording this, but so maybe I shouldn't say this. But my parents, like, one time asked me, and I'm like, yeah, like, the chance of you guys conceiving are, like, nil. Um, like, you're both you know, close to retirement, maybe at that age, or maybe they were retired. But let's, like, you know, look at Abraham and Sarah, like, like a lot of these, you know, some biblical figures, like, conceived in their 90s. And so, like, you know, this idea that we're always going to be open, like, that, um, and so, yeah, even in old age, like, the chance of you conceiving are very little, but, like, still to, like, you know, whatever God wills. You know, we're not going to do anything artificial in the midst of this. Um, So, um, you know, even if a spouse is infertile, you know, um, you know, some couples um, have that uh, burden to carry. Um, And we don't need to get into it, but like, actually, um, sometimes when women are on the pill and they come off the pill, like, sometimes the, the fertility doesn't come back. Um, uh, for legitimate reasons, physical, economic, social, psychological, couple may limit the number of children, but they have to use moral methods, so some sort of form of natural family planning. Um, we examine the nature of marriage, reason through the natural law, discerns that the marital act has two essential meanings of purpose, a procreative, life-giving purpose, and a unitive, love-giving purpose. Uh, so babies and bonding is the short version. Um, and actually, as I said um, in the pre like the, actually the higher of the two is actually the procreative. Um, therefore, every marital act must Respect and safeguard these two elements. A couple must not do anything that would be deliberately attack or suppress either unitive or the procreative part of the marital act. A spouse who pressures his partner to engage in marital act without regard to a condition attacks the love-giving part of the act. A couple that engages in marital act while practicing contraception towards the life-giving part of the act. Um, so, I mean, at each extreme, like a spouse could treat their spouse as 
um, like a baby machine or whatever. Um, but then at, obviously at the other end it would just be um, to use them, use the body for pleasure, right? And so uh, by demanding that every act be procreative and unitive, um, you safeguard between uh, from these two extremes. Um, direct sterilization surgery done for the express purpose of rendering a person infertile is either, either permanent or temporary is not permitted um, and is actually a grave sin. Um, so like you hear people getting their tu tubes tied or whatever and like target the woman she's just like my husband can't control himself like you know um you know, and so and I think she had a medical condition, like so it would be dangerous for her to conceive again. Um, I'm just like, he, you know, he needs to talk to someone. Like that's an addiction, you know. Like you shouldn't have to live in that fear. Um, and so, um, but you know, but still, sterilization is not the the answer. The the hard but right answer is always that we should have control of our desires rather than our desires having control of us. Like when our desires have a control of us that eventually, if not already, leads to addiction. And true freedom is being able to have control of our desires. And so we always need to point people towards, um, towards true freedom rather than using artificial means to allow them to continue in their addiction. Um, so uh, the church says that you don't have to, but if you have the means, like if a couple, uh, you know, um, had her tubes tied or, or whatever, or, um, yeah, I'm not, I can't remember my medical terms, but you know, if if the guy had an operation or whatever, um, I know, like I said, medical stuff is escaping me, but I know that some of those procedures are reversible. And I guess they're really expensive to do, but also super expensive to reverse as well. Um, and the church says, like, if you have the means to, do, to reverse it, like if a couple didn't know, but then found out, like if they have the financial means, then the church app does ask them to reverse it, um, but they don't have to. But um, but again, obviously, don't plead ignorance. Oh yeah, sure, I didn't know or whatever. Um, uh, no action done before, during, or after the sexual act for the purpose of rendering it infertile is is permitted. Um, both direct sterilization and contraception are intrinsically evil. Um, this means that they are always wrong, always prohibited, and no matter what the circumstances or intentions. And so, like, even if it's dangerous for the woman to conceive again, well, that's just a call for celibacy, radical celibacy. Um, and it, it's hard. Um, and so the couple needs to find other ways to be, in t you know, to find intimacy. But... Um, but yeah, and that's where like natural family planning could come in, like you know, to um, to maybe engage in the marital act, but in the you know the short window opposite of what 
of when she's fertile, um, just knowing that she can't conceive. Um, when a necessary medical treatment renders a person infertile in an unwanted side effect, we know the principle that this is not immoral. It's covered by the principle of double effect, if you remember that. Um, so the infertility is not the direct uh, desire, but like maybe it's like cancer of the uterus or whatever. Like again, the, it's to get rid of the cancer is the direct intention, but infertility is the un undesired side effect. Um, if spouses have legitimate reasons to limit the number of children, they are permitted to use natural family planning. Um, and there are several methods. There's the Creighton method, I think, is one we're most familiar with. Um, I think that's the one that Amanda's learning, Amanda Smith. Um, I know there's some others. Um, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like Blue Wave or something. One of my friends is really into. Um, but um, so. Uh, uh, there's an essential difference between contraception and NFP. Like, I've heard some people say natural family planning is just Catholic um, contraception. But with contraception, the marital act is permitted from its natural purpose and meaning. The procreative aspect is deliberately blocked. With NFP, the act takes place in an entirely natural way. Nature renders a woman periodically infertile, and the couple chooses to have sex only during these times. In time, nature eventually renders a woman permanently infertile, yet sexually, sexual relations continue to be morally permissible. Remember, limiting family size is not an evil in itself. It can be done for legitimate reasons. Only it becomes evil if our intentions or methods are evil. Contraceptive methods are evil in themselves. I'm not sure if I mentioned this. Maybe I did, but like, I would never consider my mother like uber orthodox um but she was on the pill early in her um childbearing years um early in their marriage and she quit uh not because of like the church saying anything but because she said she felt bad like my mother my mother's a health nut so i had to eat we german all sorts of awful stuff as a kid um we never had sugar in anything. It was always honey. It was substituted in cakes and stuff. Um, but so she quit the pill because she like it felt unnatural and it like you're pumping some like crazy hormones into your body. Um, and so the thing is, I mean, one cynical view is that there's no money to be made off of natural family planning, like you know, and so it's why do companies not push it well there's not much money to be made in it whereas there's lots of money to be made in uh artificial contraception we don't need to get too off track but like people wonder why kids are hitting puberty earlier people want you know why you know there's strange things happening and some people are arguing that um the hormones found in contraceptives are making it into our drinking water um so, um, so the use of contraceptives will lead to widespread marital unfaithfulness, a general lowering of moral standards, and course of use of government powers to enforce them over. Men will lose their respect for women. Um, so, 
here I just want to read you this so this is like directly from um, Humane Vitae so this is like at Vatican VA so like you can find all the fun encyclicals there um, but this is Humane Vitae um, and so uh, consequences of artificial con uh, methods. You have to remember this was written in July of 1968, or maybe not written, but that's when it was released uh, to the public, was 1968. And yet, this is what Pope Paul VI writes. Responsible men can become more deeply convinced of the truth of the doctrine laid down by the church on this issue if they reflect on the consequences of methods and plans for artificial birth control. Let them first consider how easily this course of action could open wide the way for a marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards, because that hasn't happened. Uh, not much experience is needed to be fully aware of human weakness, to understand that human beings, especially the young, who are so exposed to temptation, need incentives to keep the moral law. We don't need to... Um, and it is an evil thing to make it easy for them to break that law. Another effect that gives cause for alarm is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman in disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduces her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires, no longer considering her as his partner whom he should surround with care and affection. Because that hasn't happened either. Uh, finally, careful consideration should be given to the danger of this power passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law, who would blame a government which, is, which in its attempt to resolve problems affecting entire country resort to the same measures as are regarded as lawful by married people in the solution of a particular family difficulty. Who will prevent public authorities from favoring those contraceptive methods which they consider more effective? Should they regard this as necessary, they may even impose their use on everyone. It could well happen, therefore, when people, either individually or in family or social life, experience the inherent difficulties of the divine law and are determined to avoid them, they may give into the hands of public authorities the power to intervene most personal and intimate responsibility of husband and wife. So we can think of like the China's one child policy um, that massive use of contraceptives and if that doesn't work we abort children or penalize you for having more than one child. Um, it it kind of opens up a whole nother um, issues but you suppose you could also think of like um, the Midwest uh, push for contraceptives in third world countries to solve like AIDS crisis um, and things like that um, rather than um, addressing the problem of men abusing the women you know head on um, you know um, and teaching them, you know, chastity. Um, I mean, you could, it's the same thing that argument that's made in our high schools, right? Like our public high schools where you can get condoms from the uh, school nurse. 
you know, they, they're going to do it anyways. So we need to protect them um, rather than saying like, well, you know, have faith in people, believe that they can do something. And so, um, yeah, how do we expect the most out of people rather than the least and challenge them to, to greatness? Um, and so um, just giving people contraceptives doesn't challenge them to greatness. Um, so, um, so Catholic ob uh, objections, so like people who dissent, um, while I accept the church, Catholic Church's authority, I can still use birth control because the Church's prohibition of contraception has never been proclaimed by a solemn definition. Um, and the Church has said, you know, um, taught infallibly by all the bishops, um, by, uh, by the Pope, by the, the tradition of the Church. And so you do, you, you first have a duty to form your conscience according to the Church's teaching. Um, so, um, so yeah, even if you think it's right, I, you know, I have the right to follow my conscience, well, you also have a prior duty to form that conscience, and we've talked about that before. Um, uh, I'm choosing the lesser of two evils. Uh, you can always choose a non-evil, which is natural family planning. Um, it might be wrong, but I'm doing it for a good intention. So, like, you know, it may be wrong, but, it, you know, we can't afford a kid right now. Uh, well, you know, you can't do an evil to bring about a good. Like, we talked about that, too. That was a moral principle, that you can't do evil to bring about a good. Um, so, um, up until uh, 1938, all Christian denominations believe that contraception was wrong, taught that contraception was wrong. I want to say it was the Methodist Church that that broke first, but so for the first 1900 years of Christianity, all Christians taught that contraception was wrong, and um, there are very few. There's a lot of Christian denominations that are pro-life like against abortion but there's not very many left that are um pro-life in that like that contraception is wrong like there's not many of them left um and so um yeah uh yeah this says it was until 1930 um, that the first Christian church um, taught, you know, that allowed for contraception. Um, so, um, let's see how we do on time. Um, homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Um, again, if we understand that the two purposes of the marital act are for babies and bonding, you know, it makes um, sense that um, that same-sex marriage doesn't make sense. Um, 
I think too, we've lost the sense of deep relationships, probably in general, but even especially between um, people of the same gender. Um, like sometimes people will point out uh, in Samuel, I forget which chapter, just like it says something to the effect like, um, uh, is it, uh, well, I can't think right now. Nathan, I think it is. But, like, he loved David. And I think the Bible even says, like, more than um, than a man loves a woman or something to that effect. And it's just, like, um, we forget that r romantic love is not the highest form of love. Um, which, to me, is slightly interesting because I, I've heard this at more and more weddings. Like, I've married my best friend. And so there's a sense that we, we somehow in the depths of our being, somewhere down there, like we realize that, that friendship, that, that kind of like um, unconditional agape love is actually a higher form of love than romantic love or eros. Um, and so, I mean, that's a great thing that they married their friend that, you know, that there's a sense that they, what they're saying is that the relationship is not based on their passions in some ways, that there's a deeper connection between them. And you can have a deep, you can have a deeper uh, friendship with someone of the same gender without it being sexual. And I think we've lost that sense that we think that if we're deep friends, if we're, you know, then that has to be a, a, a romantic or a sexual relationship. Um, and so, because a lot of people are, in, are seeking deep relationships and they think that what they're actually looking for is a sexual relationship, but that's actually not the deepest form of a friendship or a relationship. Um, so especially like when people have an absent father or whatever and they're looking for, you know, that father figure, you know, they, you know, it often gets turned into a sexual relationship. Um, whereas what they really want is like an authentic father figure, um, which is, um, you know, not what, the, the father's retreat is about, but like authentically receiving that fatherhood from God the Father. Um, and so, you know, that's why, you know, theology and stuff is so important uh, to the healing of, because um, not, it's not like over 50%, but a decent number of people who are same-sex attracted um, had grew up in a single parent family. Uh, like, a, so a significant number of people with same-sex attracted grew up in um, a single person family. People who are same-sex uh, attracted deserve our utmost respect. Obviously, they deserve to be treated as people. They should never be beat upon or made fun of or whatever, obviously, they deserve that utmost respect. Um, the act is what's sinful, not the orientation. 
Um, and so, um, I mean, in some ways it is a tough ask. Like, you know, if you are seems attracted, like, you can't get married and act on that. Like, that's, you know, that is a, in some ways a burden to carry. Um, but living the Christian life isn't always easy. Um, and sometimes the Lord asks us to do radical things. Um, so, um, when I was in college, I talked to um, my dad's pastor, um, married, um, my dad's Lutheran, um, and I, my dad's pastor was married uh, two beautiful little girls. Um, and I mean, for, at least from our appearances, you know, a great wife. Um, and when I was in college, uh, so I was a little bit older, um, he left his wife for a guy. Um, and of course, being, uh, you know, a public university, you know, very progressive, um, it became a huge issue in the college newspaper. Um, and so I actually did. I went and talked to um, my dad's pastor one-on-one, -on -one, and we talked about some Bible verses. And he said, look, you know, I, I'm committed to this guy, um, which actually the relationship didn't, I mean, they're not still together. Um, but he said, like, look, I'm in a committed relationship, so, like, all the Bible verses about, like, temple prostitutes and stuff like that, like, that's not me. Like, I'm in a committed relationship. Um, and so the one verse that I did um, read to him was uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9. Um, Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, uh, nor adulterers, nor boy prostitutes, nor sodomites, um, nor thieves, or greedy, nor drunkards, or slanders, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so that phrase of like um, boy prostitutes or sodomites is also another. Um, so this would be like the temple prostitution, like with the Greeks. But the Sodomites uh, would be a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, um, which uh, generally has been um, a term that refers to uh, same-sex um, or yeah, same-gender intercourse. Uh, and so, um, so when I brought this up, he's like, oh yeah, well the Greek word for that, like, people don't really know how to translate that. And he's like, so he just kind of dismissed it. But I'm just like, well, you know, um, like all biblical scholars, you know, English biblical scholars wrong. Like, I find that hard to believe. Um, and so, like, I, I mean, at that point, I really, you know, know what? No one won an argument that day. Like, we didn't convince each other. Um, but it's just, to me, 1 Corinthians 6 9 is very clear. Um, and so, um, 
So yes, the orientation is not a sin, but the act is. And so, you know, um, we have to, those people are called um, to celibacy. Um, the church has never taught, like some Protestant organizations will, um, like kind of promote um, conversion therapy, like, you know, well, if you just do this, if you like pray hard enough, like you will become straight. Um, and the church has never um, promoted that. Um, there is an organization, um, maybe I've mentioned before, called Courage, um, which was started, I believe, in the 80s, maybe late 70s. Um, but it's a Catholic um, ministry to same-sex attracted people. Um, that's in line with the teachings of the church. And so, just to give them dignity, it's actually based um, on the 12-step program. And so it's trying to bring people out of that, that lifestyle um, and calling them through uh, group, you know, group conversations, you know, um, calling them to live a life of celibacy. Um, to live a life that's in accord with the teaching of the church. Um, because if you look into it, like, you know, just like with the hookup culture, like, the the gay culture is very toxic. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I'm sure there are some committed relationships that, you know, in some sense are good. Um, but we believe that, you know, anyone who's not living in accord with the teachings of, of Christ, you know, is always going to weigh us down in some ways. Like, we, sin is never, never makes us happy in the long run. Um, so, um, see, how am I doing? Um. So just real quickly, reproductive technology or in vitro fertilization. Um, we can say a lot of things, but just um, things to consider is that uh, in vitro fertilization often involves um, sins to get there. So like, obviously a child is a good thing. Children are always a good thing, are always a blessing. Um, and it's like, some people have asked, like, do test two babies, like, do they have uh, a soul? And of course they have a soul. They're a human person. Uh, and so just because they weren't conceived uh, in the normal fashion doesn't mean that, um, that they don't have a soul, that they're not a human person. Um, the church does say, obviously, that every human person has a right to be conceived in love, or, um, but that doesn't always happen, right? I mean, you know, we could talk about rape or, or test tubes. Like, there's times when children are not conceived in love, but ideally, every child would be. And so, like, how do we strive again for the good rather than, like, I mean, there's going to be times when the good doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop striving for it. Um, 
So in vitro fertilization and other reproductive technologies, like to harvest the sperm often involves masturbation. Um, uh, often several fertilized eggs are implanted in the uterus. If more than one child becomes viable, then the rest are, are aborted. And obviously, abortion is not a good thing. Um, embryos are frozen and left in the, that state indefinitely. And so, again, we believe that conception, that life begins at conception. So, like, literally there are human persons not being allowed to become, to develop into a normal human being that in some ways are like frozen in the state of life in a freezer somewhere um, which it like if you really think about it, it's like a really shocking thing um, that we now have the technology to freeze life at a certain stage um, and hold them in some ways captive um, and again, uh, you know, all these frozen embryos, um, are, a lot of them are destroyed, I think is the term they like to use, um, uh, which is basically in some ways, well it is, it's not in some ways, it is murder, uh, that they're discarded and destroyed. And so l human persons are being murdered because they've been they're left in uh, a freezer somewhere and then destroyed. Um, and just like, yeah, the last comment just that children are a blessing, but they're, they're a gift. They're not a right or necessity or um, an, um, an accessory. Like, right? It's, they're not a purse, you know? It's not like, you know, we have to have our you know, a boy and a girl, like, and then we're done, like, you know, um, children are not as an, uh, um, an accessory, and they're not, so, like, we don't have a right to children, um, and we always have to receive children as a gift, um, and, like, I mean, I guess I'm not married, but, like, I, I understand, like, the, the desire to have I don't know, to like pass on your lineage, your genes. I don't know how you want to put that. Um, and so I, like, I, I understand that, but like the bigger reality is that there are tons of children out there that need good families. Um, and I realize that adopting has gotten really expensive and crazy and there's a lot of other things, but the fact is that like, there are tons of children that need good families. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's just, you know, uh, I think sometimes we get selfish, like we, we want something and we think we have a right to it. And uh, I think sometimes couples do that even with children. And actually IVF is super expensive. You can spend $20,000 on IVF and um, there's, a uh, place called the Pope Paul the Sixth Institute um, in Omaha, Nebraska, and they are super good at determining why couples can't conceive um, and helping couples through that, uh, all while um, working within the the teachings of the church. Um, so. Um, 
they have ways of measuring sperm count while still like allowing the marital act to be open to life and so they're able to do a lot of um, research into why couples can't conceive and then helping them to conceive um, so and even um, natural family planning like charting can tell a woman a lot about her body and why she might not be able to conceive or it's harder to conceive and um, and natural family planning should not be the burden of just the wife it should be a mutual burden um, and you know um, the husband can help I mean it could even be part of foreplay uh, you know um, it should not be just the burden of the wife but um, it could be something like if relationships are about learning more about each other like and part of who we are is our bodies and so like how would a husband not want to know more about his wife and natural family planning uh, or charting tells a ton of, of information about a woman's body and, and so like why would the husband want to know that about his wife's about his wife's body like that's just the one more way that he can love her even more um, and so yeah just a challenge you know men husbands out there you know to to see natural family planning uh, charting as a way of loving their spouse even more their wife even more um, so um, that's all I have are there any questions concerns okay okay good well thank you guys for coming